me, Damien. It's all for you. and welcome to the Ancient Slumber Podcast, show number five. So we've nearly got enough for a box set, which is nice. (laughs) (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that in there. My name's Chris Ward, and I am talking today with Mr. Myron Schmidt. How are you doing, Myron? Great. How are you, Chris? I am very well, thank you very much. I'm sat in a very dark and cold room. I'm on the couch. It's not cold. And it's not well. It is raining, so you can have your rain back. Oh, it's blowing a gale over here. It's lovely. Typical weather, probably. It is, yes. And the room I'm in's only got a sort of plywood ceiling, so you might, if it starts raining, you might <laughs> hear some rattling. You've been relegated to the tool shed. <laughs> yeah, like Evil Dead Two. I'm in the tool You're, shed. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of Evil Dead, have you been uh, watched any of the Ash versus the Evil Dead TV show? No, I haven't. I'm waiting for the Blu-ray to come out. And I'll, okay. watch it, I'll watch it all then. Um, I'll get to that when we get to Good, Bad and Ugly. Perfect. But before that, you've seen a film this week, or last week, whenever it was, which I saw a few weeks ago. It's called Spectre. Ooh, the new James Bond film. The new James ah. Bond film. Uh, I asked you to keep quiet so we could discuss it on here on our thoughts and things. Yes. So, yes. go. I absolutely loved it. You I loved it. A, I did. I thought it was a, a really, really great uh, addition to the Daniel Craig series and the overall Bond filmography. I really enjoyed it. I, I really uh, opening bit was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Still in theaters. Go see it just for the opening bit. The Day of the Dead sequence. Yes. Yeah. It's really uh, good stuff on a big screen. Yeah, it's certainly a spectacle to look at, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm going to say I didn't love it what's what's that to love what, what uh... i liked it i liked it a lot but i didn't love it really i didn't come out of it with my fists in the air going fuck yeah like i did with skyfall <laughs> i may have liked this one a little better than skyfall yeah see i loved skyfall as it came out the cinema to me that was you know bond is back that was what i wanted yeah i mean it was uh it was very good they had to do something after Quantum of Solace. Not that it's a bad movie, <laughs> yeah. but it is the lower rung on the, the Daniel Craig um, 4. Yeah, see, my feeling coming out of Spectre was, whilst it gave me what I wanted in terms of bringing, uh, spoilers, of bringing Blofeld back. Yes. And, you know, the Bondisms that we like, you know, the car and all that sort of even though I think they've done the Aston Martin thing to death now, you know, give it a rest. We get it. But um, I don't know. I think it's not what they gave us. I think it's the way they gave it to us. Okay. 
it okay. just it felt a little bit in your face. Do you know what it I mean? Was, the, the, it was. It was, and it and it just you kind of hit it over the head a little bit with the uh, heavy-handed Bondisms. Yeah, you know we know that Sean Connery's Bond drove the Aston Martin. You know we know it's the classic car. Yes, you know, you've, you've, that's like two or three films now. You've given us that. We don't need that now. Well, doesn't every Daniel Craig have a uh, Aston Martin in it? Exactly. Okay. But, but there's still that sort of the way they present it, like they show it, and there's that little Bond theme, you know, the little, the few bars of the Goldfinger theme or whatever. Yeah. You just yep. sort of think, we've done this. I liked the light hearted edge to a lot of it. They brought back a lot of the Roger Moore-isms. Yes. Like when he parachutes down and lands and just clips the parachute off, gives a nod and says good evening, and walks <laughs> off, you know. That, <laughs> that was good. Things like that I enjoyed. That is but, classic Roger Moore. Yeah, exactly. You could see Roger Moore doing that. I think I was telling my dad about it, and I just said, if you took, you only lived twice, on a Majesty's Secret Service, and the Spy Who Loved Me, and just ram them together, that's basically what you got with Spectre. But I just, I just think there was, there was, there was, when it was good, it was brilliant. There were some brilliant bits in it, but I just think there are times when it just lagged, and it sort of, you know, like the reveal of Blofeld was just underplayed. I don't know, it's just niggles. Do you know what I mean? Lots of niggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they certainly could have brought, brought Blofeld to the center because, let's face it, people like Bond because it's great action movie. Great. Yeah. Uh, you take you take your wife or your girlfriend because Daniel Craig takes off his shirt. Great. He doesn't in this one. Well, that's true. But you know, uh, overgeneralizing. Yeah. But uh, you know, to the to the diehards, um, they could have. I don't think it would have hurt the movie if they brought Blofeld to the center a lot quicker. We all knew who it was. It's yeah. called Spectre. We all knew who it was. No sense to try and cloak it in mystery, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> no. And one thing I've been, I've listened to a lot of reviews on this, and I haven't heard anybody say this, but this is just my my take on it. What threat is Blofeld? We're never given a sense of threat with him. He doesn't do anything for us to go. Oh. He walks in in shadow. He sits down. You know, he gives out a couple of orders. People pass him the microphone and that sort of stuff. But. You don't actually see him do anything to say, oh, this guy's somebody, you know, not to fuck with. That's true. And so when it came to the reveal and he sort of went, my name's Ernst Stavros Blofeld, I went, yeah, and? <laughs> you know, if, if, if I was Bond, that's what I would have done. I'd gone, yeah, so what? <laughs> what does that mean? You know what was disappointing, though? What's that? And it's the one thing I commented to uh, uh, <laughs> my girlfriend I watched the movie with is uh, they didn't use numbers because he's always number one. That's all right, yeah, yeah. About number two or number three or number 12. They didn't use numbers. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. You, you've hit me with Bond platitudes I plenty. Think, I think if they'd done that, it would have been a little bit too Austin Powers. But, I think I think Austin Powers owns that number two thing now. It, uh, but they done it in the Bond movies. Well, they done it in the Bond movies first, but then I think Austin Powers, they had to be careful because... I mean, I still think it got dangerously close to Austin Powers' territory, having Blofeld as, spoiler again, Bond's like foster brother. Yes. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I heard somebody say the other day, I expect Michael Caine will turn up in the next one as oh. their dad. Oh. <laughs> so I, I just think, you know, what they were doing, bringing Blofeld back and all that, yep, great, fantastic, because the original Blofeld arc was never finished. But I just think it was a little bit clumsy the way they did it. But he's obviously coming back for the next one. So, uh, 
What was the last? What was the last movie Blofeld was in? Was uh, it Diamonds Are Forever? No, 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 no. Yes, he was. Hold on, hold on. I'll hold on as long as you like. It's Diamonds Are Forever. You had the scene at the beginning of For Your Eyes Only where Roger Moore picks up the bald guy in the wheelchair. That's Blofeld. Yes, that's. But that's that's supposed to be a nod to Kevin McClory, isn't it? The fact that he owned the rights to the Blofeld character. It's not credited as uh, Blofeld. Uh, the last official Blofeld yeah, yeah. is You're Diamonds right. Are Forever. Charles yes. Gray. Yep, 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 yep. Thank you. It, Got my it, nerd credit intact. Yep, nope, nope. You're right. And I'd forgotten about that little rights niggle and the fact that it was just um, a fuck you and. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I All think right. I think it's just credited as Bald Man or something like that. <laughs> With a white cat, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. <laughs> yeah, but so the, the last we saw of him, he was in that little sub in Diamonds Are Forever being swung against the side of the oil rig. Uh, yes, that's correct. But that was it. There were, if you dig into the history of that film, there were some extra scenes of Blofeld and Bond having a chase afterwards, but it was never put in the film. Yes, yes. So let's uh, go back to, to the uh, Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't they just take a... Other than Aston Martin is probably giving them a shit ton of money. Yeah. But why don't they take a page out of the actual Bond book and bring uh, move into the Bentley? Because uh, it'll probably cost them more money. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it in the book, first two books, he drives a Bentley. Yeah. Bentley makes Bentley makes great cars. Yeah, I can only assume that's going to be a money issue or a sponsorship issue or something like that. Yeah. 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 It's just like Ericsson phone. I don't know how many. You know how long that's going to last, either. Rolex watches and Heineken beer. <laughs> well, they got to pay for they got to pay for Daniel Craig somehow. <laughs> the man who hates playing Bond, they got to pay for. Yeah, that's just bad. They ain't going to lose him now, though, because of the amount of money he's bringing in for him. So he can just say, you know, back the money truck up. I might do it again. <laughs> What's he on uh, contract for? I think uh, I may be wrong. I think he's contracted for one more. And then I think they'll so they'll probably do what they did with Roger Moore and do it as a film by film thing. Gotcha. I don't know. What's the serious word on the street for the next Bond? Well, depends where you go, really. Um, you know, Idris Elba's name gets thrown about a lot, doesn't it? But there's obviously a big issue there. Yep. Yep. There's a guy over here whose name has just gone out of my head. Uh, oh, Damien, somebody. Can't remember his name. He's got ginger hair. Um, his name gets banded around a lot. Okay. I think he's the one who Roger Moore's championing. I can't remember his bloody name. Is it Damien or Dominic? We're not doing this Cumberbatch thing, are we? No, but he is. A, he reminds me a little bit of Cumberbatch. Okay, all right. Damien Lewis, that's it, Damien Lewis. Okay. He's in I, a lot of TV and stuff. You, he's, you, you'll probably know his face, you might have seen him. Okay. Um, my shout is Dan Stevens from The Guest and, and Downton Abbey. Which which one is Dan? Who does Dan play in Downton Abbey? I don't know, I don't watch it. Oh, come on. you got to miss this. I don't watch it. <laughs> hey, you've got you've to miss this. You've had to have seen it before. I haven't. I, honestly, I've watched probably about five minutes of it and just went, not for me, and walked out. i got to figure out how to get in contact with your missus. So have I. <laughs> if you, I you, you're a better man than me if you can figure <laughs> that one out. I have uh, seen all five seasons of Down to Down. All right. Uh, <laughs> just just watch the guest. I've told you this before. Go and watch the guest. Okay, okay. And then you'll you'll see why. 
yeah, we really don't get any um, over here. We don't get much, many Bond rumors. Adir uh, Salba is the notable exception. Yeah, I think some. I have heard Henry Cavill's name mentioned as well, but he's Superman, so I can't see him doing Bond as well. Yeah, because all you'll get is Super Bond. I don't know. All right, so Spectre, you loved it. I liked it. Yeah, there you go. We'll see what happens. Yep, yep. But I'm uh, I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready for the next one. Oh yes. But what do they take about three years from, and you know when the movie comes out till the next one? Yeah, usually about that. I imagine they've got it all plotted out. It's just a case of you know saving up the pennies to pay Daniel Craig. <laughs> the man who hates playing Bond. I told them I'll I'll play Bond. <laughs> Buy me a kebab. I'll do it. Cost you, you a fiver. To, you have to get in line behind David Beckham because he's seriously considering playing Bond. Behind who? David Beckham. Oh, we can fuck off. <laughs> Over here, uh, we get the headline. Yeah, uh, yeah, quote. I'm considering playing Bond. Well, yeah, I'm. Con- everyone's considering playing it. <laughs> Me too. Doesn't mean you're going to. <laughs> That's right. Hey, when they need a short, uh, slightly paunchy fifty-year-old to play Bond, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Would it work for Roger Moore? <laughs> well, you know, we all can't be as cool as Sir Roger. He is Sir Roger, right? He is Sir Roger, absolutely. Uh, okay. I, I watched another film with him in this week, which was very good. Which one was that? Cannonball Run. <laughs> <laughs> Does that one have Sly Stone in it, too? No, 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 no. Okay. You're thinking of Death Race 2000. Yes, I am. Cannibal Run. Uh, it was for review purposes. It's just getting a Blu-ray release over here uh, tomorrow. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it's all right. It's pretty good. Better than the second one, which I reviewed yeah. as well. <laughs> oh, but anyway. I forgot. I forgot he was in that. Good old, <laughs> Sir, good old Sir Roger. Oh, yes. Can't beat a bit of Rog. His name is an innuendo. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that always reminds me. There was, um, you know, um, Kenny Rogers. Yes. And he's got, he had that uh, chain of restaurants called Kenny Rogers Roosters. Yes. <laughs> there was a, a chat show over here in the nineties, Frank Skinner show, and uh, he's like my favourite comedian, Frank Skinner. He's brilliant. But he had Kenny Rogers on the show, and uh, and he was saying to him, he said, "You do realise, Kenny, that in England your name is um, it's slang for something." And Kenny Rogers was clueless. He just went. No, what does that mean? He says, well, to roger something means to, you know, to love it quite forcefully. <laughs> he went, right. He says, so Kenny Rogers Roosters is more of a, um, it's a crime more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And Kenny Rogers did not have a clue. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> yeah, it just makes me laugh. Let, let down by his marketing people. Yeah. Right. Should we do some good... Some bad and some ugly. Let's do the good and the bad and the ugly. Well, shall we start with the ugly? Well, we should start with good, really, shouldn't we? Should be, okay. Good, bad, and then ugly. (laughs) That's why it's it's called good, bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Go on, then, you go first. Do your good. go first. All right, the good was a movie called Late Phases. Oh, yes. Best... Werewolf movie. I almost said vampire. Best werewolf movie I've seen since American Werewolf in London. Oh, that's high praise, but uh... it is. I, I really liked it. I really, really, really liked it. It was uh, well done all around. Good practical effects. 
combined with a few CGI's, great concept. Just loved it. Great movie. Excellent. Yeah. Um, been a long time since I saw it, but it got a different title over here. It was called Night of the Wolf Late Phases or something like that. Okay. All right. But I did. Re- I reviewed that for Fright Fest, I think, a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I did really enjoy it. I thought it was one of the best werewolf films, certainly in yes. the last twenty years. Absolutely. Oh God, don't tell me. What? American Werewolf in London is over twenty years old. It's thirty-five years old, nearly. God Jesus. Nineteen eighty-one. I saw that in the theater. God help me. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was my uh, my entrance to modern horror films, really. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. I'll tell you that story one day when we get to it. But yeah. Very good. So that is my good. What is your good? My good is the aforementioned Evil Dead 2. Ah. Which I watched this week because my son is 12 years old and he asked, he's onto The Walking Dead and all the TV series he watches. Sure. And he asked me what Ash vs. Evil Dead was about. I haven't seen Ash vs. Evil Dead, but I said, well, why don't we watch Evil Dead 2 and that would give you a sort of starting point. And uh, so I put it on. And uh, he... <laughs> finished watching it and he just he's i went well what did you think and he went well it's all right but i didn't get what was going on <laughs> oh, so uh yeah so he's now looking for somewhere else to live <laughs> well has he seen evil dead no okay. i thought it best to start on evil dead 2 because the first one's a little bit different isn't it it's very different. i think the tone of the tv series from what i can gather is more the comedic stuff so Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, so a- absolutely. But uh, I said to him, well, if I said if, if I get Ash vs Evil Dead when it comes out on Blu-ray, I said, will you watch it? He went, oh yeah, probably. So uh, he knew he knows he knew who Bruce Campbell was anyway because he's yeah. seen Spider-Man and all that sort of stuff, and he knows who Sam Raimi is and all that sort of stuff. So okay, he's clued up on that. It's just he'd never seen an Evil Dead, so I'll sit with him and watch that. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it still holds up. Looks good on Blu-ray. I, I must admit though, watching it when you sort. Like I said before, when you watch something with a more critical eye, I was watching it thinking, yeah, there's not really much of a plot, is there? <laughs> no. But then that's why I like it, I suppose. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those movies where there really is no plot. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was my good. Evil Dead 2, you know, we all love it. Nothing else to say about it, really. Yep, yep, absolutely. Okay, what what's your bad? The bad is um, a classic example of how an ending can absolutely just destroy a film. Okay. I watched a uh, movie called Casadega. Good what? Casadega. Okay. It was a pseudo ghost story, serial killer story. Right. And they really did a nice job. I think they did a very, very good job up until the end. And then all of a sudden it was, okay, we're going to abandon everything we've built up, and now you have to make all these, accept all these stupid plot foibles, and we really don't know how to end the movie, but we know we got to do this, this, and this. <laughs> so there's no connection. All they did is this, this, and this to end the movie, and that was it. It just, it was, it was, it was good up until then, and then the last 15, 20 minutes were just, forget it. I, all set up and no payoff. Yep. Okay. Yep, all set up, no payoff. You know, any any credit with characters they built up or any, you know, where they're intelligent people. It's like, really? Really? This is, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. Not not doing it. Is it, is it a low-budget independent film or is there anyone in it we know? Or? It is a lower-budget independent film. Um, so I didn't recognize anybody, but probably diehard horror fans would. Okay. Not, not, not diehard, but I don't know. Well, like Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't often recognize, you know, there's very few actors I would ever recognize on the street. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, people could come sit next to me. I wouldn't even know that they're an actor. So fair enough, you know, but it, it was just an example of, and actually other people had the same comment. I had somebody who I said, now watching on Twitter, Casadega, I had somebody reply with just laughing. <laughs> That's <laughs> never a good sign, is it? Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, really? It's not bad so far. And then I got to the end and come to find out the ending ruined it for them, too. So it, uh, it, I just take when that happens. You get a good movie going and then you just, oh, crap, we got to end this. We just don't know how. Fair enough. As I like to say, they phoned it in. They phoned it in, yeah. Seen a few of them recently. Speaking of which, <laughs> my bad. Avengers: Age of Ultron. Just get out now. <laughs> Justify yourself immediately. Justify myself. Oh dear. Um, right. I love the first Avengers film. Great movie. Yep, I thought it was great. It was very uh, made me come out the cinema, you know, and fist in the air again, and like a superhero film should do. I bought this on DVD, not Blu-ray, because when I bought my new telly the other day, I got a £10 voucher to spend in the same shop, and they had it sat on the shelf for like eleven ninety-nine. so I thought, well, I'll pay the one ninety-nine and get it for that, you know. Okay. Yeah, put it on. I've got to be honest, I sit here now, I cannot remember a damn thing about it. <laughs> the only bit I remember was the one bit I chuckled at with Iron Man is fighting the Hulk. And he's just punching him repeatedly in the face, saying, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> Which was the bit that made me chuckle. But that's it. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what was going on. I don't know who was who. Uh, I just don't know why. Why it's there. They brought in the new character. I What's his name? Vision? Oh, I don't know. Someone appeared at the beginning, and then they appeared at the end. And I still don't know who it was. It had me for about the first 20 minutes, and then I just went, what the hell's going on? It just lost me. I, I I enjoyed it. It was not as good as the first one, by any far cry of the imagination. It wasn't as good as Iron Man 2, and I didn't really like that much. <laughs> it wasn't as good as Iron Man 2. <laughs> oh, goodness. However, it was better than Ang Lee's version of, what was it, Hulk? Was yeah, yeah. Called? Yeah, you know, come on. You I, quite, I, I like Ruffalo as the Hulk. He's good. I do, too. Yeah. He's the best yeah, one. He's, for me, he's the best one in it. But no, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm very, very, very. I am very, very partial to uh, Ruffalo's Hulk. Yeah, I did. I did like Edward Norton as the Hulk too. I thought he was pretty good. I just don't believe that he was the Hulk or David Banner. I do like uh, Ruffalo. He is my favorite for sure. After Bill Bixby, of course. Well, yeah, because I grew up watching Bill Bixby. <laughs> yeah, Ruffalo's the best movie Hulk, but but yeah, yeah, Avengers was just forgettable. I assume they're setting up for a third one, which again, I'll probably still not have a clue what's going on. Oh, you will. Just go back and watch it again. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, this was your probably should have bought it on Blu-ray for one. <laughs> um, you probably could have picked up a movie called The Gallows for a t uh, you know a ten spot. You should have got that and watched it. I've heard about that. Yeah, it's a found footage, but I think you might like it. Um, well, well, well. There's a paradox. <laughs> but um, yeah, all right. I disagree, but that's your bad. Is Age Voltron? That's Chris's. Bad. I think it's my bad because it was disappointing. Because I just, it was too messy, confusing. They're putting putting too much in it. I think. 
I think they're just caught in that, trying to set up for a whole. Mar- I, they're in this whole setup for a whole Marvel universe thing, and I I agree with what you say that they may have forced too much in that respect. But I still liked it. So why did you tell me to get out then when I said I'd sit it? <laughs> because <laughs> I had that reaction when you said it was the bad to uh, when I said I like Dario Argento's Dracula. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Gento's Dracula makes Age of Ultron look like The Exorcist. It's <laughs> come on, it's not that bad. It is. It is not that bad. It is. Just throw away the praying mantis and everything else works out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on then, give us your ugly. Oh God. Well, I've got uh, two, but I'm only going to do one. Okay. I promised. A highly, highly independent movie which isn't bad because there's a lot of great ones out there. Mm-hmm. This one was called After School Massacre. Horrible. Just start to finish, plot, dialogue, everything. It just, it was terrible. Tried to be a, tried to be a, a little bit of a, you know, a slasher throw, not even a throwback, but try to, you know, keep the slasher uh, genre going. And if we rely on this movie to keep people interested in slashers, we're screwed. Okay. It just was bad. All the way around bad. No. Yeah. My ugly was SS Experiment Love Camp. (laughs) (laughs) And boy, was it fucking ugly. Oh, God. Why did you even... Because... Come on. Because it's just come out on Blu-ray from 88 films over here. Okay. um, And I'm sort of collecting their films. All right. It was one of the video nasties that's on the, the list that I'd never seen. Okay, fair enough. So, and Amazon are doing a thing where if you pre-order the 88 films releases, they're normally around 12 quid, and then a couple of days before release, they drop them to 8.99, which they've done on about three or four times now. Oh, oh. So, yeah, little tip there. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's Nazi exploitation, lots of boobs and bodies and bits and bobs. It, it, they're, they're not good films, but, you know, they're all right for a bit of a laugh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> watch them when the, when everyone's gone to bed and you hope no one else is going to walk in the room because it doesn't look good does it no it's not illegal but it doesn't look good <laughs> that's about it really it's, you know, it's Nazis <laughs> experiments and love camps <laughs> oh that falls under the what were you were thinking category well you wanted something ugly yeah, it wasn't okay. bad <laughs> it was just ugly <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, dear. Yeah, he has to break the bottom of the barrel for that one. It's still better than Argento's Dracula. No, can't be. <laughs> I think you'll find that it can. I don't think so. <laughs> now I got now I got a trap down. Nazi death camp, love camp, SS experiments. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few of them. <laughs> Oh, it's a laugh. The Ilsa films, watch them. They're good fun. Oh, goodness gravy. <laughs> right, should we get on and talk some franchisey stuff? Let's do some Omen. Let's do some Omen. I'll play a trailer. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife Catherine was fulfilled by the birth of their son... Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, 
something terrible happened. And then it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence? Or was it an omen? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother. I saw its mother. I have fears. I have fears. Kind of fears. Its mother, Mr. Thorne. You saw my wife. Its mother. What is it? You're trying to say. His mother was a This is not a human child. Make no mistake. There are those who will die for him. There are those who will kill for him. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And can he be stopped? Gregory Peck. Lee Remick. The Omen. This is the truth. Where does it end? Back in the room. The Omen. 1976. It was. A good year. The year I was born. That's right. We got a lot of uh, heavy hitters at this one, though. We got Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, David Warner, Billy Whitelaw, Harvey Steffens. Stevens. Stevens. (laughs) You bloody Americans Uh, and your pronunciation. I, I know. Patrick uh, Troughton and Martin Benson. Directed by Richard Donner. Richard Donner, he of Superman fame. And Lethal Weapon, one, two, three, four, Goonies, Lady Hawk. Um, and I found out in research, yes, I did research and wrote shit down. Bloody hell. I know. That that's more, he that's direct- more than your government does. <laughs> yes, sadly it is. And he, and he directed one of my absolute favorite Tales from the Crypt episode. Ah. It is with Don Rickles. It is called The Ventriloquist Dummy. Oh, I think I know that one. I watched that when I was a wee lad. At night alone, scared the shit fire right out of me. Yeah, I think I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, directed by Richard Donner. Do you have a synopsis in your research? Are there people who haven't seen The Omen? Yeah, my son Uh, hasn't. Really? <laughs> you, need to, you need to fix that. Synopsis is um, uh, Ambassador Thornhill and his wife um, lose a child, adopt a child without the ambassador's wife knowing it. He turns out to be the son of Satan and trying to kill Damien then ensues. Oh, so there we go. Right. The Omen. Yes. Do you have a little bit of a history with this film? Not really. It was released in 76, and, oh my God, I, I went back and looked at what was released in 76. Now I'm... Rocky. Rocky was. 
Rocky was. But in the U.S., it was also Taxi Driver, Carrie, yeah. yes. All the President's Men, King yeah. Kong, which I saw in the theater with Rocky, Logan's Run. Did, did Rocky enjoy it? You know what I mean. Smart ass. Uh, Network, The Bad News Bears, the original, the best one with Walter Matthau. Uh, Marathon Man, Is It Safe? Is It Safe? And Assault on Precinct 13, the original. And Silver Streak with Gene Wilder. And The Enforcer. Exactly. I have The Enforcer written, but did not write down Silver Streak. Now, let's go back to 1976 Horror. The Town That Dreaded Sundown was released. That was creepy for its time. Yes. Grizzly, Eaten Alive, Squirm. Squirm's a great film. I know. Burnt Offerings. So, I mean, the amount of competition that year for movies was staggering. Well, it was in that sort of... A couple of years before, you'd had The Exorcist and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, hadn't you? Yes, you did. Right around 74? Yeah, so we're in the, we're in the fallout of that, really. I think The Omen was very much, it was, I mean, obviously it's a horror film, but I think the fact that it was a big studio film, it's it was that year's summer blockbuster, really, from what I'm led to believe. Yes. Because you had Jaws the year before and you had Star Wars the year after. Exactly. And exactly. I think The Omen was sort of the big summer film, which is quite an odd film to have as a blockbuster, really. In 1976, it made profit after budget about uh, high 50 million. Yeah. It's a lot of money for 76. It is, and I think that's probably down to... A lot of it is down to, like I said, the the post-Exorcist scary movie thing. Yes. You know, Devil Children, all that sort of stuff, very big in the 70s. I also think the casting helped, which we'll get to, but, uh, you know, Gregory Peck obviously is a a big name. Yep, Lee Remick is a big name. She did a classic Anatomy of Murder, correct? Anything in the 70s with David Warner and is worth watching. Yeah. So yeah, I think there was a lot of a lot of things going good things going for it. And obviously a director like Richard Donner, he hadn't proved himself I would say proved himself, but he hadn't done Superman yet, but he was coming through as, as a director of note. Correct. And I mean the movie itself, it's a four and a half five star movie. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Um all right, well before we dive in, I've got a little bit of a history with this film. You do. Um, the Omen was one of those films that I saw very early on. I would have been, I guess, about eight or nine years old. Um, it used to get shown on telly quite a lot over here. I remember my sister was talking about it. It had been on telly. My sister, and this was just after we'd got a, our first video player. Okay. And I think my dad had taped it off the telly. And I remember my sister watching it. And I watched it as far as the scene, the hospital, Lee Remick in the hospital. I watched it as far as that. And then about two or three years later, they showed them, showed it again on telly with the sequels, which I'm not sure if they'd been on telly before. I didn't know there were sequels. Again, my dad taped them off the telly. So I actually sat and watched all three. And it's always fascinated me. You know, I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. You know, I'm as atheist as they come. I find the whole thing about the prophecies... And the religious aspect of it, fascinating. It's well done. Yeah, and I think that's part of the appeal, especially with the first one. It's very realistic. It's very real world. It's not, as when we get to the later films, it's not, you know, that sort of cod Satanism with the inverted crosses and all that sort of stuff. No, it's very, it's set up as there's this child, people around him meet with lots of accidents, but... 
each one can be explained away. But we know the audience that there's something up. Right. And obviously, as the film progresses, the Gregory Peck character knows there's something up. Yes. Um, you've got to convince him. That's what the film is. So yeah, it's just it was so it was so well done, and I think. I really think that is a part of the appeal, especially of the first one. And I'd, ex- I'd stretch that out to parts two and three as well. They were well done as well. I mean, it's it's not often that you can get an entire franchise with only, you know, one stinker, you know. Yeah. Usually, you know, it becomes rote and everything else. But, uh, you know, this one had so- uh, three solid entries into the franchise. Yeah, so the plot is basically uh, Ambassador Thorne is in Rome with his wife. The baby dies at birth, or he's told that their baby dies at birth, uh, of which the wife is not aware. And so Ambassador Thorne, played by Gregory Peck, makes a deal with the priest that he will uh, take substitute baby and raise it as his own. And then obviously as the years pass, he gets higher up in the political ladder. Very wealthy, very powerful, blah, blah, blah. And then all these mysterious deaths start happening. So, uh, okay, let's begin with the characters of Robert Thorne. What do we think of Robert Thorne, Gregory Peck? I thought he gave a a great performance being a 70s male ambassador. Right. And I think we've had some discussion where the reasons I like him may be the reasons you didn't like him. Yeah, I've got a little bit of an issue with the cuts. Yes, It's my issue with this film. You said it's a four and a half, five star film. Yes. To me, it's initially I would have said, okay, yeah, it's a five star film because I've got a history with it. I enjoy it. I've got a nostalgic sense to it. Watching it this time, as I've said before, when you have that critical eye on it and you start looking for the faults, the one thing that always niggled me and it really magnified on this viewing was Gregory Peck and Lee Remick as well. In what way? I don't think they're very good. Really? I think she comes across as whiny. Yes, agreed. She's very whiny. And Gregory Peck, I know he's Hollywood royalty and all that sort of stuff. He's very wooden. And whereas I believe, if you compare it to the remake, where you've got Lee Schreiber in the same role, I don't believe that Lee Schreiber is the ambassador to the US, or ambassador to Britain. I do believe that Gregory Peck is. He's got that authority. He's got that presence. You know, this is a man who's powerful both politically and, you know, um, perhaps personally. You know, he's a big man. Yeah. Um, You know, lots of money. Um, But I don't believe the scenes where he's being fatherly and he has to show that side of emotion. I don't buy it. Oh, well, me neither. But isn't that central to his character? I don't think so. I think because you've got to believe that this is a man, this is a father who's being driven to murder his child. I don't get any sense... Of, I'm more from him than I do from Lee Schreiber, if I'm honest, but I don't get any sense of... This is a father struggling. I get the sense of this is a businessman doing what should be done. I absolutely get the same sense that you do, but I guess I did... I don't have that much of a niggle as you do with it. No, I think it's just... I don't know. I think The Omen, and I think it's the same in the remake as well, I think... The supporting characters and the supporting actors are what make it. Oh, absolutely agree. To me, David Warner is the standout in in this original one. I absolutely agree that it's the it's the supporting cast that that does it. Absolutely. Yeah, and Billy Whitelaw as well as, as Mrs. Baylock, the nanny. Yes, yes, yes. Creepy lady. 
Yes. Super creepy lady. She played, um, you may not know this, she played Ronnie and Reggie Cray's mum in the 1990 film The Craze. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's a film worth looking out for for various reasons. But, um, yeah, very well-known and respected British actress. Yeah, she's very good in that. But, you know, Gregory Peck, to me, I don't buy it. Gotcha. I, I, uh, I have to go back and look at it with a critical eye, but it didn't, didn't seem to phase me. I just kind of assumed, like you, that this man is... Can't be fatherly. He doesn't know how to be fatherly, or he would have told his wife about the baby. I'm not saying. I'm not saying it can't be fatherly. I mean, I know there's that thing with high-powered business people that they're you know emotionally disconnected. Yeah. But I don't know. I just I didn't get the scenes where he had to be tender and fatherly and loving. I don't think he he managed it. And I'll I'll elaborate more when we get to the second one. Okay. All right. All right. We both agreed though. It's a classic movie. Oh, absolutely, yes. No, you may give it only three and a three quarters or four stars. Four I stars. Give... I gave it four on letterbox. I, I, I gave it four inverted crosses. <laughs> um, but it, it it holds up. It's still a good watch. Um, stands the test of time. And it's uh, to me, it's a great horror movie. Love it. It is very much a film of memorable moments. Yes, I think that you know. I still remember the seeing the uh, the scene where the nanny hangs herself. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, that stuck with me for years. Um, the beheading scene. You know, spoilers, obviously. David Warner's character gets beheaded by a sheet of glass. Yes, yes. Still looks fantastic. Yes, it's a dummy's head, but it does look like David Warner. Yeah, <laughs> and it's one of those films for me that I always forget about until I'm trolling my bookshelf and I'm like, The Omen, why haven't I watched this more? Yeah, it's one of the... It's not... I think in the pantheon of 70s horror films, you know, you think Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Amityville Horror, all those ones always come out and you go, oh yeah, yeah, watch that. And The Omen's sort of seen as a second tier film, I think, and it's not. It's, It's worthy of being up there with The Exorcist, I think, definitely. Absolutely, I agree. Absolutely, I agree. The soundtrack is fantastic. Jerry Goldsmith's score. Love it. It would certainly be a lesser film without it. It harkens back to the uh, glory days of where people really, really relied on soundtrack to set a mood. Yes. And I think we've lost that in a lot of movies as of late. Yeah, it's certainly not as prevalent as it was. Oh, no. No. But, um, yeah, okay, so Robert Thorne, um, Kathy Thorne, I feel the same. I just, I think she's whiny. I know she's got plenty to whine about, but... Oh, no. She absolutely is. It just drags. Every scene she's in, after they've moved to London, she's moaning. I absolutely agree. It just gets on my tits. Just wipe it off. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, she's in... You know, her, her death is very memorable. She gets flung out of the hospital window, lands on top of an ambulance... Does right, right, but doesn't die is now in this, I don't know, coma thing. No, 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 she dies. Oh, oh. yeah, no, 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 she does. Die. Yes, yes, yes. She yes, falls yes. off the balcony and ends up in hospital yes. with, I must say, the most uncaring doctor in any film ever. <laughs> oh, that gets me every time when Gregory Peck's character turns up and the doctor just says, "For God's sake, man, she's lucky to be alive." <laughs> oh, absolute bloody sympathy. He says, oh, she was pregnant. No. <laughs> That's what he says, isn't it? She was yeah. pregnant. No. <laughs> Not, I'm sorry, she's lost the baby. Just, no. <laughs> you uncaring bastard. 
Oh, but surprisingly, you've uh, mentioned uh, Liz Schreiber. Yes. And the remake. The remake wasn't bad. <laughs> we'll get there. It wasn't bad. I was, you know, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, okay, not bad. Well, then let's move to Omen 2. Before we get to Omen 2, I just want to mention as well another one of my favourite actors in this, Patrick Troughton as Father Brennan. Okay. The one who gets speared in the graveyard. <laughs> Right, yep, 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 Father Brennan. Yeah, he's, um... Uh, do you watch Doctor Who? Sometimes. No, he's uh, the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. Really? Yes. Okay. He's in a lot of Hammer films, which you'll discover when we get around to, to those, but, um, yeah, he, he's always like a grave digger or something like that. <laughs> okay, I'll have to keep my eyes peeled. He's in a couple of those Draculas, actually. Uh, Scars of Dracula, he's in. Okay, I haven't made it that one yet. Okay, he's in that. Yeah, he always plays that sort of character. He's, just, he's one of them faces, if you... British television in the 70s, he, he'd, he'd be in it somewhere. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, he's a fantastic character. But um, Omen, great film, lots of deaths, lots of great sounding music. Are you going to give this one a score? Oh, we've done a score, haven't we? I'm yeah. giving it four inverted crosses out of five. I'm going to go four and a half inverted crosses. Oh, okay. Right then, let's move on to 1978's Damien, Omen 2. Two. but a taste of the future. What happened before was a hint of the horror to come. The first time was only a warning. William Holden, Lee Grant, Damien, Omen 2. Tell me about Damien. What sort of a boy is he? He's your brother's son. He's a boy you've loved for seven years. Well, you can't believe it. And it's over. It is a filthy, stupid story, and it's over. The courage got him! You mustn't attract attention. You're not going to treat Damien any differently. You're not going to look at him. You're not going to talk to him any differently. The day will come when everyone will know who you are, but that day is not yet. I know who you are. Say it, Mark. Get Mark away from Damien. Look at me, Mark. Damien, there are things you don't understand. Read your Bible. He needs me. I need you. Damien, Omen 2. Why only other boys and not Damien? I don't understand. Damien has a different cell structure. Different? What does it mean? I've been working on the story for years now. I think I'd piece it together. Oh, please, please, you must listen to me. The first time was only a warning. Five deaths. Five unexplained horrible accidents. We are all in great danger. You can't make believe it. You've got to believe it. He killed Mark, killed Atherton and Vesarian. And he'll keep on killing. He'll kill anyone he thinks is threatening him. Listen to yourself. Listen to how crazy it sounds. Man, I saw Charles killed. I saw Damien's face on the wall.
William Holden. Where's Damien? Lee Grant. Damien. Omen 2. The first time was only a warning. Damien, Omen 2, 1978. There's two directors on this, you know. I did. Don Taylor and Mike Hodges. There you go. Starring William Holden, Lee Grant, Jonathan Scott Taylor, Robert Foxworth, Nicholas Pryor, Luez, Lance Henriksen. Yay! Yeah, he is. He is in that. Just Lance Henriksen and I'd watch it. Uh, it's so funny where he will pop, pop up occasionally. Um, <laughs> you'll be watching a movie and you'll go, hey, there's Lance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, where he's paying his dues. That's it. Yeah, and Leo McKern, who returns from the first film as Bugenhagen. Yes, and was not uh, Harvey in this one as well? No, no, Damien is played by Jonathan Scott Taylor. Uh, but did not Harvey play a character in this movie? Harvey Stevens, did he? Yeah, he did. Where did you get that information from? My research. Oh. I, of course, did not write down what character he played, because I figured, Chris will have to know. Well, I'm looking at IMDb, and he's not credited. Really? Yeah. Sons of bitches. See, that's just typical of you Americans, isn't it? You get your information wrong, you just head straight on into these things. <laughs> yes, yes. Deary me. You, you, go ahead. You um, you work out the... Uh, the, um, the synopsis. The synopsis while I look at my notes. Okay, Damien, the Antichrist, is now 13 years old, uh, living with his aunt and uncle, and he learns of his destiny under the guidance of unholy disciples of Satan. Ooh. Yes. 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 Right. Let's go back to my research. What I wrote down in my notes is Harvey appeared in both omens. What I meant was he appeared in the remake. Oh, okay. Right. Well, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> I wrote both omens, and I thought... Yeah. And, and then when I went and looked it up, it was he was in the, you know, one of the... Well, he'd have only been two years older in this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No. Yep. Yep. Okay. Right. Omen 2. I'll start by saying this is my favourite one of the series. Really? Yes, I love this film. First saw it when it was shown on telly around about 1987, I think. Um, it was shown late at night. I sneaked a pair of headphones up to my bedroom, plugged them in so my parents wouldn't hear, and I just sat and watched it till about 1 o'clock in the morning. On a school night as well. Oh. Ooh. Cool again. I am. <laughs> I am. I'm living on the edge. That's and, right. And uh, love this film. Absolutely love this film, and I think most of that comes down to William Holden as Richard Thorne. Really? I think he's brilliant in this. I think he gives the performance of what Gregory Peck should have given in the first film. I think there's a real warmth to his character. Yes, he's a big shot businessman, you know, the, one of the most powerful men in the world, but I get the family man thing from him as well. He keeps his business for the bit for the boardroom. And the family is the family. Okay. And I think he sells it fantastically. You know, when he when when the bad stuff starts to happen and he gets into that peril, I think you're rooting for him. You want him to get the daggers. You want him to be convinced that he's got to kill Damien. And when he finally gets the daggers, you think, yes, this this is the guy who can do it. Interesting. 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 I mean, I love the film, too. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was a great film, and I actually agree with everything you've just said about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think Lee Grant, as his wife Anne, I think she's better than Lee Remick 
she's got more she's got more to do in the film but i think she comes across in the main as more personable than kathy thorne did in the first one absolutely i agree um the supporting cast i mean lance henrickson i think it's one of his first films he's very good um robert foxworth as paul buer we'll come back to paul buer later on in the series and i'll tell you why when we get there all right you remember the character of paul buer yes i do yeah, he, he's very important later on, if you've read the books. And for the Americans out there, Meshach Taylor made an appearance in the movie. Who? Meshach Taylor. Oh, Dr. Kane, yes. Yes, yes. yes. He's, uh, you know, he went on to become an 80s sitcom staple yes. on a lot of shows. And, you know, I was scrolling through this going, is that Meshach Taylor? IMDb. Holy shit, that is. Yes, I have seen him in some. What was he in? Oh, he's in a lot of... I don't know if he ever took a um, real strong role other than designing women. Right. You know, and dear God, if you've ever seen that, do not start watching it. <laughs> uh, he was in he was in Mannequin as well. Oh, God help me. I but, I've, yeah, I've definitely seen him in something. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's a, you know, he's kind of a staple in just a lot of... Uh, lot oh, of yeah, things. I'm looking now. He was in Alf, Hill Street Blues, <laughs> Golden Girls... All, the, all TV series, Cagney and Lacey, MASH. Yep. Yep. He was in The Howling, of course he was. Incredible Hulk, yeah, he's, yeah, he's one of them faces, isn't he? He pops up and goes, oh, yep. it's that guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's Dr. Kane, he gets a really good death. He does. He gets cut in half by the, eleva- the uh, elevator cable. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Complete bollocks, it would never happen, but it's done really well. But Oh my God, but the shot of that cable unraveling and then... Becoming the cheese slicer and just... No, I know. Yeah. To be fair, though, it still looks really good. I watched um, a film the other night, which escapes me, but in the film, a woman got chopped in half. It was like a vampire thing. And she got chopped in half, and she's laying on the ground, you know, how they do the half-body trick, where they, they're in a hole, yep. aren't they, and they put it up to their neck. Yeah, and yep, yep. you could see the hole she was stood in, and all this sort of stuff, so, yeah... <laughs> You go back to 1978, you want to see how it's done properly, you look at that. Yeah. You can't see where the, the dummy begins and he he begins, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that's one of the reasons why I loved Late Phases so much, is you want to, you know, go back to a horror movie and see how it's done right for werewolves. You go to American Werewolf in London, look at those effects. Mm-hmm. Similar practical effects. That's how I, mean, I just loved it. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Yes. Anyway, Omen 2. Yeah, so Damien is in a military academy with his cousin, Mark. Yep. And obviously Lance Henriksen is their new drill sergeant, and he's been placed there... By a Satan himself. He's by by the devil himself. He knows who (laughs) Damien is. He's the one who tells Damien to go read his Bible and learn about who you are. Yeah, exactly. Which he does. Which brings up the point, this refers to probably omen 4 and the remake more in the first omen damien doesn't know who he is correct all these things are happening and he's just a child in the middle of it correct. and obviously for half of this film damien doesn't know who he is obviously omen 3 he does omen 4 the child in that seems to know that she's a devil child and likewise damien in the remake seems to know who he is i didn't get that sense from the remake mm, i did okay okay you, you're you may be right about that i knew it was just you know okay but, um, you know, yeah. You got any thoughts on Omen 2? Loved it. Um, I thought it was, uh, as far as sequels go, it was, it was, uh, you know, spot on. It didn't get stupid or hokey. It really just continued that, 
that's that storyline, and then there's Lance, you know, <laughs> making the big reveal. You are the devil's son, and Damien, like, ooh, this is kind of cool. Well, no, <laughs> you know? he fights against it at first, but then, yeah. Well, yeah, he does, but that's short lived. You know, you know that's <laughs> you know the scene when he's chasing his cousin through the snow. Yes, his cousin finds out who he is, and he's against it, and. Damien, you know, holds him in his in his like force grip, and says, yeah. you know, uh, come with me, Mark. I was watching this. I was watching this with my missus, and I just turned around and said, "Well, I would." <laughs> Not I'd jag him, but if, if but if he was saying to me, "Come with me," you know, it, the whole world can be ours type thing. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. At that age, why wouldn't you? Any age, I'd do it now. You know, it's the one thing I've always found with vampire films is when, you know, the vampire has you and says, you know, you can join me or be destroyed. I think, well, fuck it, I'll join you. Yeah, why not? Looks quite fun. <laughs> great, but for great. those who don't want to join the the, 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 the Satanists, <laughs> you know, uh, eventually uh, Richard Thorne, he's convinced that Damien is the devil's child and he uh, gets hold of the knives to do the job. Yep. And then the big twist at the end, I'm going to spoil it, fuck it, is his wife is also in on it. Yes. Ooh. And she's always yes. belonged to him. Yes. And she stabs him. She stabs Richard Thorne in the Chicago Museum, which sounds painful. And then Damien is fully there. He's, he's got his father's fortune. He's now got his uncle's fortune. And he's set up for the next film. And his aunt is on his side and everything is good to go. Well, she was on his side till he blew the museum up. Well, gotta gotta make those sacrifices. Well, it's those little details. Well, so I was watching it with my missus, and you know, Anne Thorne stabs Richard Thorne, and then Damien gives her the forced stare, and she bursts into flames. And my missus said, "Why is he killing her? She's on his side." To which I said, "Well, if she's still alive, she gets the fortune." Exactly. And you see, he's systematically killing off everybody. That's right. That's right. It's funny because there is very little Satanism in these movies. Yes. There's no, there's no black masses. There's none of that crap. No. Nope. It, it, it's funny. They just separate that kind of uh, mythological hogwash, if you will, and just made it about, ooh, what if the child of Satan were a normal person? He certainly isn't going to go gallivanting around holding black masses. He's just going to no. do what he do, do what he does. He's a powerful person. He's going to rise through the world of politics and and destroy it from the inside. That's right. So to speak. That's right. And I, I really appreciated that they kept with that spirit through all three movies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a drastic drop off in the fourth, but um, <laughs> but we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Omen 2, it very much follows the the first film. Um, obviously, it's produced, made by the same people. Keeping it real world, these could be seen as accidents. Yep, exactly. But we know they're not. You know, And at the end of the film, Damien knows who he is. He's now set to inherit the whole Thorn millions, billions, which moves into Omen 3. That's right. But before we get there, how many inverted crosses do you give Omen 2? I would... I'll match it with the first one. I have to go four and a half. I'm giving this a full five. Really? Yes, I love this film. I find this endlessly rewatchable. Applaud you, sir. I would say, what looking at it, critical, I really struggle to find that many negatives with it, or anything that's worth anything that's drastic. Right, right. It's um, I, I, there's not much flaws I can find with this one either. No. Okay. Well, let's move on to the final conflict. Not to be confused with the final countdown. 
No. Or the final option? No. The birth of evil was foretold in the omen. In 1978, a terrifying prophecy was fulfilled in Damien, Omen 2. And now, you will witness the ultimate challenge to the future of mankind as the trinity of living terror is completed in the final conflict. Yes, Mr. President. I just appointed Mr. Damien Thorne as our new ambassador to the court of St. James. Damien Thorne is 32. Attractive, brilliant, charismatic. To the modern world, he brings a purpose, a vision, a destiny. He's one step away from the most important position on Earth. Disciples of the Watch, I stand before you in the name of the one who is cast out from heaven but is alive. In me, the power of evil is no longer in the hands of a child. Heed the warning. Prepare for the final conflict, the concluding chapter of the Omen Trilogy. Nineteen eighty-one, the final conflict, Omen Three, directed by Graham Baker, starring Sam Neill, Rosano Brazzi, Don Gordon, Lisa Harrow, Barnaby Holm, Mason Adams, and Ruby Wax. If you look, do you know who Ruby Wax is? I do not. Enlighten me. I wish I didn't. She's American. <laughs> not not because she's American. I don't like her, of course. That would be silly. A, a British of you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. she's, um, uh, she was part of the sort of the alternative comedy thing of the early 80s over here with Rick Mayle, Stephen Fry, Dawn French, all those sorts of people. Okay. She is American. She's from Chicago, I think. Um, she's irritating as fuck. Can't, oh, I can't stand her. But she plays, um, you know, the uh, oh, the ambassador who shoots himself? Yes. She's the secretary who opens the door. Oh, okay. She's not okay. credited. But um, I was watching this on my missus, and I said, that's Ruby Wax. She said, yeah, it is. And then I looked up on IMDb, yeah, it is. But this is before the sort of the alternative comedy thing stuck in. But anyway, gotcha. don't like gotcha. her. Annoying. Full of herself. Loudmouth. Horrible. Right. <laughs> uh. Omen 3, yeah, so now Damien Thorne is now in his 30s, tipped to be the pres- next president of the USA, but there is a priest from Rome who knows who he is and is gathering mm-hmm. his fellow priests to come and kill him with the knives. So here is my first niggle with Omen 2, Omen 3. Okay. In the first one, hmm. all seven knives have to be in the form of a cross to kill said Satan. Son of Satan. Yes. But we've lost that little trail in the second movie, and in the third movie, all you have to do is stab with one dagger, and that's you're, that's it. No. No. No, my friend. All right. Then you enlighten me. Quickly. In the very first film, when Bugenhagen gives the knives to Robert Thorne, yes. he says, 
The first knife extinguishes physical life. Correct. The first knife is important. Yes, that's the one that extinguishes physical life. The rest of the knives extinguish spiritual life. Yes. Yes, the end of Omen 3 is problematic because he gets stabbed with one knife and he dies. Yes. But that extinguishes his physical life. Now, if you read the books, because there are five Omen books. Really? And this is where we're going to get to with Omen 4, the film, in a minute. In the book of Omen 4, Damien Thorne's body is still a vessel for evil. Okay. And they don't go here in the films, and this is why it's confusing, because the Omen 4 film takes a totally different story. But basically, yes, the first knife extinguishes the physical life. The rest of the knives extinguish the spiritual life. So if you do it properly, you will destroy the Antichrist. But because she only stabs him with one knife at the end, all she's done is destroy the body. Now, in theory... The next film should have followed the story of the book. And the story of the book is that there is a son. You know, when Damien and the uh, the Lisa Harrow character have sex in this film. Yes. There is a son from that outcome. And he's carrying on Damien's work. And his son... You know, in Omen 3, Damien keeps that Jesus on the cross in his house. Yes. In Omen 4, the book, the son has replaced the Jesus with the body of Damien Thorne. Well, now that would have been a good movie. Yeah, well, we'll get there. But, yeah, so basically, Omen 3 doesn't change the fact that you need all seven knives to fully kill the Antichrist. It's just that they don't show what happens after. And they don't really talk about that you need all seven knives. No, no, no. Yeah, to be fair, they do drop it. The priests seem to think they can just use their one knife and that's it. Oh. But I think it's more a case of, yeah, if you use one knife, you will kill the body, is basically it. Well, is it, is it one knife, or is it the knife marked number one? No, I think it's just any knife. Okay, the first... The way okay. I hear it is, the first knife that you stick in his body is the one that will extinguish the physical life. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That's the way uh, it's done. Have you read the books? I haven't. No. I didn't even know there were books until you mentioned All right, well, we'll get there at the end, but yeah. <sighs> Crap, now i got to go read the damn books. <laughs> Son of a bitch. So yeah, so in this film there are um, seven... Is it seven priests? Something like that. Yes. Who have come over from Rome to uh, kill Damien Thorne. Damien Thorne is aware that they are there. And also, while this is going on, the birth of the um, new holy child is to take place. And so Damien Thorne wants all children, all baby boys born on a certain day at a certain time to be killed. Yes. Which is a, a little subplot that leads to a little bit of deception from his main man. Yes, it does. Don Gordon, Harvey Dean. But, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, again, this was another film I saw the week after Omen 2, because they showed them on three successive Sunday nights. Uh, So, again, I sneaked those headphones up to the bedroom and watched Omen 3. The first time I'm aware of Sam Neill in a film, I'll be honest. Okay. I think it's the first film I saw him in. Yeah, I think Omen 3 is... I think it's the lesser of the first three films. I do still like it, but it is problematic. I think there's a little bit of a made-for-TV feel about it. Very much so. Yeah, which could it could have gone that way. Maybe it's because the second one was very much was American and set in America, and this one's set in England again. Maybe that's the difference. I don't know, but it just feels a little bit light, if you know what I mean. I absolutely know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but Sam Neill, I think, is very good. Um, I'm not a Sam Neill fan, if I'm honest. I don't think he's particularly great in a lot of things that he's in. But he's he's recognisable. He's recognisable. I think he plays the part well. I think it's pretty much perfect casting for Damien in his early thirties. Okay. It's really it's one of those films you've just got to sort of watch it. And yeah, this is the as far as the films are concerned, the concluding one. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's not satisfactory by the end. I think it's all wrapped up a little bit too quick. You, you know, it's um, it's kind of one of those they needed to get rid of the Damien character, so they 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 did it with the stabbing of the knife, and then the, the spoiler alert, the the Jesus thing, where yeah, Jesus you know, appears. And, and that's where I kind of figured that the whole death of the spiritual thing went. Yeah. If they had followed this film on with Omen 4 as it was written in the book, right? then I think that would bolster up the ending of this film a bit more. But because they didn't, it just feels really flat that this is, oh, this is how they ended it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it still, even though it had this uh, made-for-TV movie appearance, uh, had some good kills, most notably the priest swinging on the rope and the television studio getting burned in the plastic that's a, hor- that's a horrible way to go, isn't it? Oh, jeez. Covered in melted plastic, yeah. yeah. Yep. But it's still... Um, it wasn't a bad movie. It was still a very good movie. They kept the, the flow of the story rolling through, and there was intrigue and horror and, you know, demonic stuff abound, and it was a good movie. Great soundtrack as well. Yep, good soundtrack, absolutely. All the first three films got brilliant soundtracks. Yep. Really solid film. Um, I quite like Lisa Harrow as Kate Reynolds, who becomes Damien's love interest. She's uh, yes. quite a formidable yes. presence. I like Rosano Brazzi as De Carlo, the main priest. He's in um, he's in a lot of yes. a lot of Italian exploitation films that I've seen. He often pops up. Don Gordon as Harvey Dean, I thought was very good. Damien's assistant. Yep. Who yep. has a bit of a a major role to play. So yeah, it's just it's good actors, good characters. Again, sli- slightly let down by a little bit of sloppy writing. Yep. And you know, for me personally, uh, the weakest of the three. Yes, it is the weakest of the three. You know, so um, but it's still it's only weak by a little bit. It's not like it's. Uh, a one star thing. I think you know, no. So. I think it, it appears weaker because of the high standard set by the first two. Yes, yes. I think that's the thing with it. But compared to what comes next, oh dear lord, it's Citizen Fucking Kane. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Because following on from the quality productions featuring Gregory Peck and William Holden and Sam Neill. Leo McKern and all these fabulous actors who've done their utmost to convince you that the world's about to end, we get Omen 4. That's right. In which the world didn't end, but the fucking franchise did. <laughs> the movie that I fall asleep halfway through every time I try and watch it. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I've ever seen the ending. I can't... can't you start it from halfway through and then... <laughs> oh my god, I've never... Oh god, it's just so bad. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. It was a story audiences would never forget. Damien Thorne is the Antichrist. About a boy with an evil so great. Who became a man destined to rule the world. My disciples shall inherit this earth. Damien Thorne is dead, but his prophecy is about to be reborn. Omen 4, The Awakening. Is that the girl? Behind her sweet smile. Get her away from me! 
lies a dangerous secret. Do you think it's possible for a child to be born evil? Now, a reign of darkness is about to be unleashed. What evil made you do that? Omen 4, The Awakening. The nightmare has just begun. Omen 4, The Awakening, 1991. <laughs> right, there's two directors on this. All right, one is Dominique, I'm going to murder this, Othenin Girard, who directed Halloween 5. Apparently, he walked off the production halfway through. I'm surprised. <laughs> I wonder why. I'm surprised he made it that far. And he was replaced by Jorga Montesi, because why not? And this film stars Michael Lerner. I recognise him. Michael yeah. Michael Woods, Faye Grant, Madison Mason, Anne Hearn, and apparently we've got Dave Grohl playing the little girl. <laughs> and she also looks like Lauren Llewellyn Bowen, which would mean nothing to you. But he's a flamboyant decorator who does a TV show over here. One of these how to decorate flamboyant. how to decorate your home. One of those. Oh, there's someone in this called David Cameron. Not the David Cameron, although that probably would have improved it. <laughs> Maybe. I don't even I don't even know if that could. Honestly, it fucking would. <laughs> <laughs> right. People often people often ask me people often say to me, no, people often ask me, you know, what's your favourite horror film? What's a good horror film? What's the best horror film? And, you know, there's no real answer, is there? You know, it's your favourite and the best are always two different things and, you know, You've got your stock answers for each thing. I also get asked a lot, what's the worst film you've ever seen? What's the worst horror film? This is my go-to answer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) I don't think it's because of the technical side of it, the production values, because, you know, it's not very good. There are worse films out there. You know, we know there are worse films out there. If you've seen any of the August Underground fucking films or anything like that, you know, they're shite. Yes. Now, this has got higher production than that. But in terms of sheer disappointment, this film is just absolute lowest at the fucking low. It's God Almighty. How the Mighty Have Fallen. Yep, yep. It's a made-for-TV film. It did get a limited theatrical release over here, and I think somewhere else in Europe, maybe. I got really excited for this when I first heard it was announced. I used to read um, Dark Side magazine okay. in the early 90s, and uh, I remember in a little sort of section in the news bit, it said, producer Harvey Bernhard has gone into production on Omen 4, blah 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 and I thought, fantastic, because I had read the books, and I thought, that's brilliant. Yeah, not what we got. We got nothing from the book. This is a totally... This story is totally made up for the film. Oh, I don't even know where to begin. Why, why do you think they didn't follow the book? I think it was a case of budget. Um, if you wanted to write the book, uh, make the book into a film, it would have cost a lot. I don't think Sam Neill would have been in a, in a place at that time to reprise that role, because he, he would have had to have been naked and nailed to a cross for the whole thing. <laughs> that might have been his best work. <laughs> well, it could have been. He Maybe he's up for it now, I don't know. <laughs> Put some hair dye on him, lose a few pounds, you never know. Oh, that's mean. Yeah, I'm, I I can only say it would be budget because it's quite a big story. Uh, the Omen 4 and Omen 5 books, they actually they carry it on brilliantly, but to put it on film, I think, would be too much. 
right, in right. terms of budget, in terms of what a studio would pay for it. And you got to remember, in, in the early night, late eighties, early nineties, was anyone really that interested in an omen, a new omen film? No. It was seen as a sort of seventies thing, no. popular yeah. when they're on telly, but you know, it was sort of seen to die with the third film. Yep. Yep. But in this one, I'll read the synopsis off of uh, IMDb because <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't find the words. <laughs> Damien Thorne is dead, but his prophecy is reborn in a mysterious girl named Delia, who was adopted by two attorneys, Jean and Karen York. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's bollocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. you've got this little girl who looks like the singer from the Foo Fighters, and she's supposed to be Damien Thorne's daughter. The mother is never explained. Now, I've looked, believe it or not, I looked on IMDb at some things about this film. And it says her mother could be Kate Reynolds from the previous film, or it could be the nun we see at the beginning of the film. No, it's not. It's it's it's. <laughs> I was going to be the nun. Well, now that could. It be... really fucking isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's basically a rehash of the first film. A well-to-do couple adopt a child. They adopt this Delia child. Things start to happen. Yeah, it goes no. It's absolute shit. You've seen it all before. They introduce a detective played by Michael Lerner. And this is my one, not my one gripe, I've got lots of gripes. My major gripe with this film, and the thing that when I first watched it, I just went, you know, this film is dead to me. Do you know the scene when he's walking the streets and there's that choir singing? No, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, right, you haven't seen that. Oh, honestly. (laughs) I'm telling you, I, I put the movie in. And immediately the eyes grow heavy. I roll over, listen to some dialogue, and I'm out. Well, you know you said (laughs) that the good thing about the Omen films, the early Omen films, is that there's no inverted crosses, there's no satanic bullshit that you would get in, like an old Hammer film or something. Yes, exactly. There's none of that, right? In this film, we get, you know, the the mirror in the bathroom steams up and there's an inverted cross on it. Oh, dear. You know, the fence post falls over and it falls in the shape of an inverted cross. Stand the other end of it. It's not inverted, you fuckwit. (laughs) There is a scene when Michael Lerner is uh, he's looking around some shops, you know, and, you know, the dark forces are closing in on him because you hear the music start to swell. As he's walking along the street, there is a half a dozen carol singers singing on the street, right? Yeah, it's Christmas time. There's carol singing there, of and uh, you know they're singing the song that you can hear in the background. It's supposed to sound like the music from the first film, but it it doesn't. And as he's getting more and more feeling the pressure, he starts hallucinating. Blah blah blah. He looks up at this choir, and they've turned into zombies. They've got like zombie flesh on them, and one of them holds up a crucifix and turns it upside down, <laughs> and it looks like it looks like something from the Muppet Show. When they're all singing at the end. And you just say, oh my God, how have we come so far from the quality of the first film, you know, the class of that production, to, you know, this cod satanic fucking bullshit. It's horrible. It's a horrible film. Yep. You know, as far as I'm concerned, there are three Omen films and a remake. That's it. Yes. You know, you buy the box set. It's like getting a bonus feature. You're never going to fucking watch it. (laughs) But some bonus features we do watch. This one, you're just like, oh. Yeah, it's... Oh, oh, that's right, there's a fourth one. You know, and if this wasn't produced by Harvey Bernard, who did the other three films, I'd be maybe be a bit more forgiving. I'd say, oh, somebody else took the rights to it and fucked around with it. 
But no, Hervey Barnhart is behind this. He produced it and he wrote the story. And it's a- absolute shite. Yeah. It, I tell you what, I would rather watch Hellraiser Revelations than this. Wow. Honestly, I would. I watched this once when it first came out and it was on telly. I think I watched it once maybe about ten years ago. And I watched it for this viewing. Just, And I, I will never ever watch this film again. <laughs> It's a placeholder, so my box set doesn't look uh, winky-wonk for me. Honestly, take the disc out, use it as a coaster, <laughs> stick it under a wonky table leg, something like that. It may have a use there. Oh, God. Yeah. Honestly, it's, just... it's horrible. The child in it, the Delia character, she's horrible. The two main leads, horrible. I like Michael Lerner in most things that he's in, but I think he's just... I don't know. I think he probably thought he was making a quality Omen film, and then they gave him that script. <laughs> and he probably signed signed his name on the contract by then. <laughs> yep, it is horrible. I think there was one death in this that was quite. There was a decapitation, but nothing you haven't seen before. It's just horrible. Yep, utter bollocks. I gave this half on Letterbox, half a star. Because that's the lowest you can go. Because the lowest I can go, uh, because I like Michael Lerner, and because because I can. Yeah, it's just horrible. Don't like it. Get rid of it. Time to move on to... Uh... But, you know, what's really bad is they have uh, Omen Blu-ray box sets over here. All right. You know, and they only include one, two, and three. Quite right, too. <laughs> Agreed. But there is that little part of me that's like, how come four in there? I was a shite movie, but... Yeah, there's the, the completist in you. <laughs> the OCD completist is like... I think I don't think you can get them on Blu-ray over here. It's... And I'm, I'm sure if they did, I would be the same. If they did one, two, and three, I'd go, oh yeah, I'll buy them. Where's four? Yes. I'll never watch it, but I want <laughs> it. Right. Just, it's right. Just so it's there. It's, yeah, it, it's like, um, for me, um, Rocky Five. Get out! complete shite movie no it's it. not <laughs> and and it's like oh dear god it's part of this set uh <laughs> it's not part it's not here i got the first four on blu-ray but where's number five you know it's just the same thing you say rocky five shite can i remind you of your five stars for argento's dracula yeah go right ahead <laughs> <laughs> oh no argento's dracula looks like citizen k next to rocky five <laughs> Right, uh, you're dead to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen Creed yet? No, it's not out here till January. Okay. So right. it's not going to make my end of year list, I'm afraid. But, That's uh, too bad. Yeah, I know. I've heard some really, really good stuff about it. Yeah, you're going to like it. I, it looks like a really... Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but it looks fantastic. I know. I saw, I saw one reviewer say the best Rocky film for 30 years, and I thought, well, 30 years ago was Rocky Four, which is the greatest cinematic epic of our time, obviously. So there you go. <laughs> Big words. There is absolutely nothing wrong with Rocky Four. Oh, I, I would challenge I, anyone to an Ivan Drago-style fight. I, I don't know where the hate comes from. Best film uh, ever made. <laughs> and you can I, quote I me on that. <laughs> out of the series... It, for me, um, it's Rocky One, Rocky Four, uh, Rocky Two, and then Rocky Three. Yeah, see, I know full well that Rocky is the greatest of the series. It's a, a human drama f- straight from the heart. Yep. But if you put that in front of me and Rocky Four and said you're only allowed to watch one of these ever again, sorry, it's Rocky Four. 
Oh, without question. I could watch it on a loop. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a, every time it's on TV, I'll watch yep. it. It's my it's my regular Christmas film. <laughs> it's got a lot of stuff in it that's really really good. It's it's montages. I've got montages in them. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff if ever yeah. you're down and you need to pump yourself up and g yourself up again stick it on it's fantastic that's right yeah all you got to do is just watch uh, uh uh the apollo creed entrance you know it's, oh. uh... <laughs> if james brown was still alive i would want him to <laughs> when i arrive at work in the morning just be there play living in america as i dance into the into the warehouse i'd love it <laughs> Oh. oh, honestly, oh, we're gonna have to do Rocky at some point. You know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that means I gotta watch Rocky Five again. Yes, you do. Uh, Nothing yeah. wrong with Rocky Five. Well, there is, but it, not as much as it, you say. And there's one after it, isn't there? Have you is not seen a... Rocky Balboa? No. Oh, no. Watch it before you watch Creed. Oh, Seriously, no. come on. In fact, it... right, watch Rocky one, two, and three. Skip four and five. Then watch Balboa. All right, I'll have to see if I can find Rocky Balboa somewhere. Honestly, I know you'll probably think it's naff and cheesy, but trust me, it ain't. All right, all right. I've never seen it. No, well, I, honestly. It, Rocky Five left me with such a horrid taste in my mouth when it. I just completely dis- nope. dismissed it, it out of hand. It's it's back to the roots of the first one, honestly. Okay. Yeah, okay. as long as you can believe that a 60-year-old man will go and fight again. But, I mean... <laughs> Look. Foreman did it. Come on. Look, we are horror fanatics. We can suspend disbelief for a lot of things. Exactly. Honestly, I recommend Rocky Balboa. Go watch it. I'll have to find it. Okay. I'll have to find it. Yeah. Crap. That means I'm going to buy the Blu-ray sets. Yes, you do. It looks good on. It looks actually. It looks really good on Blu-ray because the final fight is um, a proper fight. They hijacked a proper Vegas fight or something and filmed it there and then. So it looks really good. Okay. Okay. But anyway. The Omen, 2006, directed by John Moore, starring Lee Schreiber, Carlo Sabatini, Julia Stiles, Mia Farrow, and Giovanni Lombardo Radis, who I was very pleased to see. Why was I very pleased to see him, you may ask me. Go on, ask me. Why were you pleased to see him? Because he's in a lot of cannibal films from the early 80s. Awesome. He's He plays the priest at the beginning. Okay, all right. If you watch Cannibal Ferox or Cannibal Apocalypse, he's in those, you'll know his face. He's in loads of things. But yeah, basically, it's a say, it's a remake of the original Omen. It is. It is. Only made to cash in on the date of 6-6-2006. Of course. Of course. Right, let's dive straight in. I like the fact in this that they got, an, to get the feel of the original, they got a couple of actors who were just as wooden to really make you feel like you're back in that territory. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, this, because it's not a bad film. I don't think it's bad at all. No, it, it, no, not at all. It actually, it's a decent film in and of itself. Yes, but it doesn't do anything better than what the first film did, and that's the problem with it. There is no, yes, there's deaths in it. Yes, it's got that you know the satanic overtones and bloody bloody blah. But I don't know. It just it doesn't do anything. It doesn't improve on anything. No. It does not improve on one thing. So which makes you ask, beg the question, what's the point of it? To make a remake, that's what Hollywood does. Yeah, to cash in on that date, that's all it's for. Leave Schreiber plays Robert Thorne. I don't mind him, but he's wooden. When you want him to be a little bit overblown and dramatic, he just doesn't deliver it. Same as Gregory Peck, really. It's funny, though. I did not... I found uh, Julia Stiles to be a little more warmy 
homey, not as whiny. Maybe not quite as whiny, but I I didn't like her at all. Didn't like her at all. I thought Lee Schreiber was a little bit more... He did the fatherly thing better than Gregory Peck did, but he didn't do the tough businessman thing as well. Because he was being fatherly, I think. Because he was what, sorry? <laughs> he was being fatherly, that's why. Well, yeah, yeah. You got Mia Farrow as Mrs. Baylock, the nanny. She's not as... Not as scary looking as Billy Whitelaw. No, she's fine, no. but she doesn't. She doesn't. I think with Billy Whitelaw, as soon as she walked into that room the first time, you knew that she was a threat. Yes, she just played. And I don't know if it was the tone, that seventies horror film vibe. Yeah. Or what? But yeah, no, no, no. She absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. I think Miss. I think Mia Farrow plays it a bit too much, like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> You knew immediately that Billy Whitelaw was ultra creepy and yeah. ultra bad and everything yeah, else. She's, she's got other reasons for being there. Yes. We've got David Thewlis as Jennings, the photographer, in the David Warner role. Yes. I quite like David Thewlis. He's in quite a few things. He's in the Harry Potter films, I think, but uh, you may know him from. But he does. he's in a lot of TV stuff over here. I like him, but in this, he just seems to be reading David Warner's lines and not adding much to it. Agreed. It, and it wasn't wasn't necessarily a bad performance it was just it was no different from what we got before correct michael gambon plays bugenhagen the leo mckern role um pretty much ideal casting he's he's pretty much the go-to when you want that sort of character um but he plays it too much like a mad wizard (laughs) well you know yeah but i mean when he's handing in the original when leo mckern hands gregory peck the knives and he gives him that stern you know you must do what must be done right you believed him didn't you you thought oh shit yeah, of course when michael gambon does it he's like gandalf in lord of the rings isn't he dancing around going oh take these knives you must kill the child <laughs> what yeah 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 it's a little it's a little bit too on the too hokey right right but just like you said, he's the kind of the the modern go-to kind of guy. Well, yeah, that. yeah. I mean, if you said to me, who would you cast as Bugenhagen now? My first thought would be Michael Gambon. He's right. that character. You know, he's sort of like a, what Anthony Hopkins now, isn't he? Just You want somebody overblown for that role? That's who you go to. Right. Yeah, uh, I like the beheading scene when David Thewlis' character gets beheaded. I thought that was done very well because was, that was slightly different. I, they did a lot of the kills fairly well in this one. Yeah, it's... Again, it's not a bad movie. It's not bad. They added a few things in, um, but nothing that changes the plot. Like at the beginning, Robert Thorne isn't the ambassador. He's the ambassador's assistant. So obviously you've got to kill the ambassador to put, right. to put him in that position. So it's there just to put another kill in it. Yeah. You know, there's there, there are subtle changes, but the script was very similar to the original. And so a lot of the time you get the feeling like it, it was just a recast with the same script. Do you remember... Shot for shot remake they did, um, Vince Vaughn did of Psycho. Yeah. Who can forget? Yeah, I'd like to. (laughs) Um, This kind of falls into a little bit of that trap where, just like you said, it's nothing really new. No. They could have gone gone different in so many ways. And I'm I'm glad they didn't go Omen 4 and start putting inverted crosses everywhere and all that sort of stuff. Right. They tried to keep the... uh, they at least tried to keep some of the themes and whatnot from the first. Yeah, and I think the scene in the school trip where the animals start going berserk, that was done very well, I thought, because yep. it wasn't just 
stock footage of animals running away. It was, you know, that gorilla smashing itself against the glass and all that sort of stuff. That was well done. Right, right. I like the fact they tried to put a bit of modern news in there at the beginning. There's a bit about, you know, the world is now a different place. There's a little bit of terrorism and that sort of thing. So, okay, we're in apocalyptic times, so to speak. Right. You know, I know it's a remake, but I think they should have deviated a little more. They fell too close to that psycho shot-for-shot remake yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Agreed. But if I was 15 years old and I'd never seen the original Omen and I was presented with this, yeah, it's it's okay. Absolutely. It's, it's better than... I, first time I've watched it for probably about eight or nine years and uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but... It's one of those uh, films, comes on TV and you start watching you go... This is not bad. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not bad. You know, it's not a a Platinum Dune-style remake, so... No. It it doesn't fall into the trap of, we've got to have this here and this here and this here and blah, blah, blah. Did you, by any chance... Did you watch this on DVD? I did. Did you look at any of the the, um, extended scenes? I did not. Should I? I don't know. There's three extended scenes on there. There's... uh, the, the priest getting speared there's the beheading and there's the ending and they're just slightly extended Ooh. and all it is is a little bit of more extra gore and I watched them last night and I thought I can see why they weren't put in the final cut but I'd like to see a cut with them inserted in just to see if that adds anything yeah because you've got the spearing of the priest who's he played by Pete Postlethwaite the wonderful Pete Postlethwaite in this one yep you know when he gets speared and all it is is a lingering shot of him from above with the spear right, through right. his chest and it's got stained glass in his face. Yep, yep, yep. And the camera just lingers on him and then backs away. The beheading scene, all it is that's different is when the sign comes down and chops his head off, there's a shot of his head spinning through the air with blood squirting out of it. Ooh! And the scene at the end when uh, it's Robert Thorne with Damien at the altar with the knife above him. In the finished cut, you just got one shot from the policeman who shoots him. In this one, the whole, about five or six of them go in with a machine gun and you just see his body getting pumped full of bullets. Oh, man. Yeah. And I thought if they'd have kept them in, that may have been enough just to make it that little bit different, that little bit edgier. No kidding. I wonder if there's a director's cut somewhere. I don't know. Because they're separate, you can't see it in the film in context. But it would be interesting to see them put in. I wonder, if there's, a, wonder yeah. if there's a fan footage film or anything like that. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, I'm with you on there. i got to go watch those. Yeah, they're only a couple of minutes long. Okay, cool. But it's just cool. it's just that little bit extra, which I think it would have benefited from. So how many inverted crosses? I'm curious. I'm going two and a half. That's it. I think, you know, it's not bad. It's not brilliant, obviously, because I've grown up with the original. It's there. You don't have to watch it, you know. (laughs) I'm actually going to go with three. Three inverted crosses. Okay. I liked it a little better than average. Yeah. I wouldn't go any more than that. It's it's not going to change your world. No, 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 no. It's not going to change anything. But it's, I agree with you, though. It is, it does fall in that trap of a little too much shot-for-shot remake. Yeah. Even... In the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, they tried to bring a little more backstory to Freddy Krueger. In Halloween, they tried to bring a little more backstory in. So, I mean, at least they tried to contribute something new. And unfortunately, they didn't do that with this one. I wish they would have. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there are a couple of ways they could have gone, and they just they didn't. So Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's the Omen series, really. It is. Apart uh, from the books, which you've never read. 
which I've never read. No, I suggest you do, because they're good. Okay, all right. I haven't read them for quite some time, to be honest. The Omen book, the first one, gives you a little bit more background on the characters. The story's pretty much the same. Well, I, it's, is it a serialization of the movie? No, 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 the book was written first. Okay. So, yeah, it's very. the film and the book are very, very close. Okay. But there's details in it, like um, you get a little bit... I think they meant... Say it's been a long time, but I'm pretty sure that they go on about Jennings, the photographer. I think he's got a military background. Okay. Or special forces or something like that. And there's just, there's just bits more of the characters. Okay. So you understand why they're doing what they're doing sort of thing. Right. Which right, is very right. good. The books of two and three are pretty much the same. But four and five are where it gets interesting. Because, like I said, Omen 4 is the son who is born of Kate Reynolds and Damien. I think, I may be wrong, I think the birth is, I think the baby is born anally. <laughs> if I remember. Oh, come on. And it rips Kate Reynolds in two. Oh, come on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I may be wrong. <laughs> but she... <laughs> I love it. But she 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 dies during the birth, and Damien is raised back at the, the mansion by, basically by Paul Buer from Omen 2, the character I said, remember him? Oh. Yep, yep, yep. He's a major player in this story. Now, basically, Damon is raised back at the mansion with Paul Buer and the servant, I can't remember his name, basically raising him. And they, he keeps the body of Damien Thorne in the house on the cross. And he sort of worships it and gets his spiritual guidance from it sort of thing. But he's the, the boy is very weak in it. Okay. He's very much a sniveling little wretch, you know, and I think... Paul Buer spends most of the book telling him what he's got to do sort of thing. He doesn't want to do it, you know. Like I said, it's been a while. Uh, There's a nurse in it. The nurse who helps with the birth. I think she becomes a major player. Anyway, and then in Omen 5, he's accepted who he is and he becomes the Damien Thorne. He calls himself himself Damien. Uh, At the end of the Omen 4 book, the body of Damien Thorne is destroyed by Paul Buer. Okay. Paul Buer turns back to, to the good side, if you like. Gotcha. And he kills... Damien Thorne with the knives and that's where he puts them all in and extinguishes the spiritual life he does it and then in Omen 5 Paul Buer dies at the beginning because he's waiting for you know they say they've got that birthmark the 666 yep yep he's waiting for his penance for the birthmark to disappear and then he can die you know being forgiven sort of thing right and then the young Damien Thorne rises to power and I can't remember how it ends to be honest Sounds interesting. Yeah, I gotta, really, I really to, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. But I've read them a lot when I was a teenager, and so I've read. Gotcha. I first read them. I last read them probably about twelve years ago, something like that. Okay, okay. But certainly worth seeking out. And if they make, I'm still waiting for them to make a film that comes close to it. I think we may be waiting a long time, just like we're waiting for the next Necrophagist death metal album. <laughs> well, of course. So. Conclusion. First three, absolutely worth a watch. Skip four. Yeah. Remake, not bad. Remake if, you, if you're bored. <laughs> if it comes on the telly, give it a go. It's not that bad. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So, I don't know where we go from here. I don't either. <laughs> How about just goodbye and we're done? Yeah. So, um, I don't know what we're going to do next. We'll work that out and then uh, we'll be back on the airwaves. That's right. You can hit us up on Twitter or send us... You know, feedback, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, we're on Twitter at ancient underscore slumber. 
or you can email us at ancientslumberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, go over to ancientslumber.wordpress.com to look at reviews and other bits and bobs, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.